Welcome to Game Store Profits, where we talk about God, gaming, and groups. I'm your host, Daniel Fisher, and along with me today, I have the most wondrous Michael Perna. How you doing today, Mike? You even busted out Michael. <laughs> there are like three people on this planet that call me Michael, and you're not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am now. There you go. I'm doing fine, Daniel. How are you doing? I am going a little stir-crazy. I think like, most of us are. I, I think most of us are. Year 15 of the lockdown. <laughs> Post-zombie apocalypse. What What's the one thing that I saw? It was like 2020 is an odd leap year. It's like 29 days in February and 325 in April. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody posted in one of our chats the... Uh, the girl looking over the edge of the castle going, I wonder what plague of the uh, book of Revelations it is today. Yeah, what chapter of Revelations <laughs> chapter. we're in today. Yeah, we so. we are at, at fun times. What are we at? Murder hornets. And, you know, if this is not the time to sit inside your house and game, I don't know what better time there is. Because there are just so many reasons to not go outside. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean... Uh, it, it it feels like summer just hit in the south, which means humidity is at 110%. Uh, you know, as as much as I want to complain about how hot it is here, and don't get me wrong, it is hot here, I just think of, of you folks down in the south, where it's infinitely hotter and damper. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's the thing, like, and it's been raining today too, so like, we get those torrential downpours, and it goes on for like 15 minutes, and then all of a sudden, um, sun comes out, and it's 95 degrees, and all that humidity's in the air, and the ground's dry, and, and I remember our first trip to Nicaragua for missions, and everybody's like, it's going to be humid. I'm like, I live in East Tennessee. It's not humid. <laughs> it's not that humid. It's not that bad. So, anyway. <laughs> so, Daniel, we actually have... You know, games that we've played. Yes, how, we do. How, how crazy is that? Even as, as much as we complained, I think I think maybe we're starting to go in roller coasters. Like we had a lot of games to play, and then we had no games to play, and now we have games we've played. <laughs> well, so for us, you know, we do the family night. We 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 make the decisions on what we want to do and things like that. And and the few, you know, every so often they're like, well, "Let's play a game." I'm like, "Okay." And my wife has even said we will play some Dungeons and Dragons coming up soon. Um, wow, your wife came in on Dungeons and Dragons. Well, she knows I like it, and I've been putting up with playing games that they prefer and I don't prefer. And so, you know, that's how it is. It's it's a give or take situation. the 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 thing is, though, it's I've got to catch my daughter in a good mood that day in order for uh, her not to uh, derail the entire module. So. There you go. So what what have you been playing that maybe I'm hoping is in the camp that you enjoy, <laughs> as opposed to you know D and D, which is just your bread and butter. Well, no, I do enjoy this game. Um, so I've called it many of a name, and uh, none of them the actual name. No, it's Carcassonne, which I own like two copies of and but we 
It's what's so funny is I normally on the podcast call it Carcassarone. Carcassarone. So my wife's like, let's play Carcassarone. <laughs> Carcassarone, the San Francisco treat. <laughs> I was like, that's not really how you say it, honey. And she's like, well, that's how you always said it. Like, yes, yes, it is. So in the off chance that somebody is listening to us and wow, if you if you're listening to us and you haven't played this game. God help you. You are a saint and a patient individual. Uh, but just in the off chance that somebody hasn't heard of this game, Daniel, break down what Car- Carcassonne... Now you got me thinking it. In my <sighs> okay. head. In my head. I don't know what the... For, mecha- for the love of God is. and all things holy, it's Carcassonne. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the actual mechanic of this is. Tile placement? Oh, I guess that's it. So, <laughs> you start out with the center tile. And it's like a piece of a city or a road. I can't remember. I think yeah, I think it's a piece of a city and a road. So you take and you you pull tiles and everybody gets a turn. And this is where ain't this like the game where we got meeples from? It is. It is the first like meeple game. So you have these meeples and everybody's got like eight meeples and a giant meeple, which is your scorekeeper meeple that you put on the scoreboard. So. You lay a tile down, and what you're either trying to do is complete roads, and the longer the road is, the more points you get for it. Or you're trying to build uh, build cities, longer the road, and bigger the city, the more points you get for it. If you get a farm, you get points for that. Um, you know, and it's very competitive and and game like. My my daughter would start building a city, and all of a sudden, I just start throwing meeples down on top of it because you can do that. You can lay maples you, down on top of it and take the city over from them. Whoever's got the you most. You build into with. the city. You randomly start building a wall in a field, yeah. and before you know it, you've built part of somebody else's castle. <laughs> yeah, and so like, and that's that's pretty much uh, what we did. Yeah, that's, that's how the game goes. It's it's a good game. It's a light game. Uh, there's a lot of clones of it out there on Android and iPhone. I think the first one before they actually had an official version of it was a farm version where you had tractors instead of meeples and I don't know. There's a lot that Carcassonne has been around so long that you have all sorts of crazy variants on it. Yeah. I was so close. I was so close to finally getting there is a you know for those of you who don't know, we have what we call the inroad seal of approval. Is you know, we jokingly say it's for Bible games that don't suck. And the one of the tenets of the game the, 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 the seal is that it's a game that you don't have to have any kind of Bible knowledge to play and appreciate and enjoy this game, nor do you have to have any desire to have any Bible knowledge to play and appreciate and enjoy this game. Well, we when we first started it, there were only a couple that we felt really qualified under the guidelines that we set for it, but I put out a call and I said, hey, if anybody knows any games that should be considered, please let me know. And somebody sent me Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> which is a Carcassonne uh, variant that involves you literally taking around the Ark of the Covenant to get points by having the Ark pass by your meeples. And I think the only other real difference is that there are prophet meeples, which help move the, the Ark. And there's also, uh, in the original Carcassonne game, there are cloisters, which you have to encircle to get points. Whereas in Ark of the Covenant, 
their temples and a little anachronistic, but they want you to build a cross shape around the temple. So we're jumping ahead to New Testament, but of course we are. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we don't know where the Ark is. <laughs> so uh, it's being looked after by top men. So um, I, I, the only reason this game doesn't get the seal is because I haven't played it yet. And one of the guidelines that we set for a game getting the seal of approval is that one or more of the board has to have played it and put it up for consideration. I'm pretty sure as soon as it gets played, it's going to get it. I just haven't gotten it to table, and I was so close this week, but it it was one of a handful of games that I brought out, and it didn't get picked. So one day, one day, I'm going to convince some people to play Ark of the Covenant with me. <laughs> so I didn't. What play... have you been playing? By the way, I didn't play that, but I did play some other things. Uh, one, I'll just do this one because it, it literally happened like, the day before we are recording, uh, Blood Rage Digital officially got released. How much is that now? I don't know, because I kickstarted it. <laughs> but uh, because I kickstarted it, I was able to play, and it's, like, it does make my old computer chug, but it's still pretty, and I still love it. And I still love that I can get my fav- one of my favorite games to the table in a virtual kind of sense. It's it's really good. There are cool animations to it. The board is this glorious animated wonder. And I, I like everything about it. I like how it takes uh, some of the cool aspects of the game and make them just look nice. Mm-hmm. Like, they have Valhalla, which all your, all your little... Oh, what? Okay, I do have to. I'm, I need to follow my own rules. I need to break down a, a very brief, very brief, because man, y'all have heard me talk about Blood Rage a lot. Uh, Blood Rage is basically you take control of a clan of Vikings during Ragnarok, which is the big end of the world battle, and the whole point of the game is that you are trying to get glory, and that happens a different, handful of different ways: by winning battles, by making your clan stronger, by getting fulfilling quests. Um, but if you know Norse mythology at all, uh, basically the whole, the whole idea is that, uh, people who die in valorous combat end up in Valhalla, which is basically the mead halls where they will spend the rest of eternity celebrating, doing feasting and fighting. And in this game, anytime you you lose a figure, lose one of your miniatures from the board, it goes to Valhalla. In the digital board game, there's actually this giant door off to the, the side of the of the screen. It's just it's just there. It's entirely window dressing. There's nothing of, of mechanical value to this thing, but it looks so cool. Does your <laughs> and, miniature go off to the door when it dies? Yes. And uh, it's just it. I have to say, if if you like area control games, if you like over the top crazy designed uh, miniatures and and you don't want to spend the 80 to a hundred dollars it's going to cost you to get blood rage these days I would highly recommend the digital version because it does a really good job of implementing what the board game has now if you want to throw down blood rage is entirely worth it I have well it hasn't it still hasn't reached me yet 
but I have a uh, neoprene mat coming by that will make my gameplay all the more entertaining. I've got my hand-painted uh, figures, which are gorgeous. And, uh, yeah, I love that game so much. And I, I'd love to get the physical copy to the table, but uh, kind of there's a quarantine. Which, we are, I am thankful that we are, at least in my neck of the woods, we are getting to the point where we can have small gatherings. And I'm hoping that I can leverage some people to come over for a small gathering of people to play board games with me. <laughs> yeah, we could have small gatherings of 50. Oh, you're you're bigger than us. Well, you also got to realize our population in the city isn't as bad as yours. True. So, uh, it's... But speaking of, of things that we're going to be playing, I actually got to do kind of a celebratory game this... It's earlier this week. Yeah. Yes, um, my godson, who, if you if you follow our page slash our uh, group, The Tavern, in Facebook, you have seen pictures of our group that went to PAX Unplugged this last year. And among the team that went to PAX Unplugged this year is my godson, Gabriel. Gabriel turned 18 recently. Now, Gabriel is nowhere near me right now physically and so i'm like man what am i gonna do like 18's a big in like we need to do something and so i said especially after taking him to pax unplugged with me i'm like gabe you want to play a game and he goes well, of course i do what are you thinking and i said i want to play reflections <laughs> reflections uh, is something that has come up before in the podcast, but it's something that comes up sparingly because it's really hard for me to convince people to play it. It is a one-on-one GM-less role-playing game. And the whole concept of this game is that you are playing as two people about to duel to the death. And you are remembering your life together as to how we got to the point that we want to kill each other. Well, maybe were they quarantined together? No. <laughs> Though, there are some... Like, the actual, like, original setting is that you are two samurai. But one of these days, I really want to do some of the extra stuff that got... If you did the Kickstarter, there's, like, extra scenarios and extra stuff that you can find. Yeah. And I really want to do some of them. I really want to do one of them, which means you are two professional wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I will play that with you. It's two professional wrestlers. And so basically you are pretty much cutting promos on each other. <laughs> so let's do that. Um, I, I, I really com- want to do that. Coming to, coming to the Inroads plays. No, yeah, we're, we're going to live stream this. Oh, I don't know about live streaming on our it. Twitch. We want to, but uh, uh, but I, yeah, I no. This. It, you can do you do two that are professional wrestlers, but so the way this works is it's a series of scenes, and it's literally like how we got you know we we, were, we became friends, you know how you failed me, how you know the utter betrayal, and it it ends up with the time it came to blood, and so literally there is one dice roll. In this entire game. And that, is that the one that settles it? It's the one that settles it. 
you get one roll of the dice the entire game. Everything else, every other scene is just collecting your dice. And there are two ways you get dice. There's regular dice, which if you succeed, when you when you set a goal at the beginning of the scene, if you do that goal, you get dice. If you fail to meet that goal, you get hatred. At the end of the game, you choose whether or not to use your hatred dice or your regular dice. If you use your regular dice, it's, it's exactly what it is. You just roll them and you see what happens. If you choose to roll your hatred dice, you get all your regular dice plus all your hatred dice. But here's the thing. The highest value on your hatred dice is the highest value you rolled. So if you rolled like six sixes on your normal dice, but the best you got on your hatred die was ones, you rolled ones. Yeah. The story mm-hmm. that the story that Gabe and I came up with was that we were two guys who were fishermen because our our families had decided that before we were to come into our own and before we were to complete our training, we should learn how to work a good profession. And uh, the way we worked it is that we it was during the time of like the the Western incursion into Japan. And so we were all complaining about how we were losing the old ways and how the people from the West were coming in and ruining everything. And before we knew it, Gabe was basically the architect of this plan to destroy all the harbors that were bringing in the Western ships. And my guy was in charge of the docks. And so it came, it fell on my house that everything was destroyed. And so my guy, it came to the end and it was whether or not you wanted to use hatred dice or just your regular dice. Yeah. I literally revealed to Gabe, I'm like, my guy was willing, like it was going to come to a duel to the death. It, of course it did. But my guy was willing to just make this just a straight, unemotional act of honor, except Gabe's character kept poking him, like poking the bear. And so my guy ended up raging at him. And sadly, I rolled two sixes and I thought that was great. Gabe rolled four. <laughs> and so and so my guy ended up face first in the in the the sand on the beach next to where it all started. I want to try this. It's it is a phenomenal game. The first time I played this, I I played it and there uh, the, he, the person I played it with basically asked me, "So what happens in case of a tie? Like if you roll all your dice and you roll the same number and the same number of that number?" I'm like, well, there are rules for that, but it's so unlikely when you're throwing this many dice. And they and you tied. And we tied. And what happens when you tie is that both your characters die. So I want to break this down for you. The very first time I played this game, oddly enough, it was over the internet. We were we were playing it. We the we set up where one of it was the son of this general and the other was basically his protege, so it was like the adopted son of this general. And we ended up literally bleeding out over the grave of our father. This is the first time I played this game. (laughs) I want to play it as a professional wrestler. I I really do. And it's cool because there is a degree of ritual to the game because you end up 
Uh, whoever loses, you have to tear your, your character sheet. Now, if you were playing at the same table, you're supposed to hand that character sheet over to the other player. Like, like just your, your, for the honor's sake of it and everything like that. And it's, it's really neat. It is done on the fly. There is little to no setup. The only setup I had was because I'm a nerd. I, uh, I look up a, a collection of Japanese names because I don't want to just make up random stuff that isn't culturally appropriate. Um, but other than that, I didn't plan a thing and we ended up playing for about an hour and a half and it was great. So yes, I don't know how easy it is to get anymore. I kickstarted back in the day. I'm sure you can find it. I didn't double check. $12. I'm guessing you found it. Okay, there you yeah, go. Look at that. But the company that produced it also produced a game called the Satanic Panic. Yes. The Satanic Panic is a game where uh, the Satanic Panic was real. Like, literally, gamers are getting powers from Satan. I want that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and not that I really want to get powers from Satan, people. No, it's but, just, but it's the, the, idea of, the idea of playing a game where all the ludicrous things that people talked about, what D&D was like and what it was doing to their kids, was actually real. Satanic Panic is being downloaded right now. <laughs> I just I just got it on. It's free. The playtest documents are so uh, I'm gonna there give that one a try. But no, I I really I do want to try Reflection. So we'll have to schedule a time to where me and you can play it. Yeah, definitely. And we will we will broadcast this. Oh, if, if you and I do it, especially if you and I do it as professional wrestlers, there is not a question in my mind. That at bare minimum it will show up on the Inroads Plays podcast feed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh sorry. Oh, that that will be my challenge to not be Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> that will be my challenge if I do this because I will I will full Macho Man and I will do it unconsciously. But anyway, Daniel, enough talk about what we've played. Let's talk about what we're excited about. There is some interesting stuff. Ha- ha- happening out there in the world of gaming right now i heard there's a few things happening and so i think it's time that we move into the next segment of our lovely podcast and that's called hype intensifies this is where we insert the music people (laughs) you know now i'm gonna have to keep it i'm gonna have to keep that i'm gonna have to keep that All right, so the very first thing that I, I feel obligated to talk about. Uh, at this point, Gloomhaven is a force of nature in the board gaming world. It is literally the most popular, the most like talked about. Every, like, it sweeps everything if you, if you do a popular vote kind of award show. Like, Gloomhaven. What's Gloomhaven? Don't even. Don't even think that you don't know what this is. Uh, in the off chance that you're listening, because I know for a fact that there are people who listen to us who aren't into board gaming, that they listen to us because they want to get insight into the board gaming world and don't have it themselves. So the very broad stroke thing about Gloomhaven is that Gloomhaven is a, what's it called? What's called a dungeon crawl. Yeah. And you basically pick a character and you go through a dungeon and you fight bad guys and find cool stuff and level up. 
But the cool thing about Gloomhaven is, is that one, the sheer ridiculousness of the amount of content you get. There's something like a hundred different missions in the base box of Gloomhaven. And it's GMless too as well. It is GMless and be like so many different campaign style games that are happening these days. There are boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff that you unlock as you go through the game. So you start off with one character and either that character dies or it levels up and kind of just retires from the adventuring game. And then you pick up a new box with a new character and get all their cool stuff. And yeah, that's if that doesn't sound cool to you, I don't know what to tell you. Gloomhaven is the kind of stuff of legends. Like people, when it, it, it first hit Kickstarter, there were like fights breaking out to try and get copies of this thing. Well, I have a friend that's got it, and he has yet to invite me over to play it. That's upsetting, because what we're going to talk about is the fact that Gloomhaven, you know, I, I don't want to say it's been been kind of overshadowed, because it kind of hasn't, especially because part of this Kickstarter is you can also buy Gloomhaven, but uh, they came out with Frosthaven, which is basically the... I want to say similar concept because from what I've been hearing from people who have played it is that they do add a little bit of complexity and strangeness to Frosthaven that wasn't there in Gloomhaven. But Frosthaven is basically more Gloomhaven in a weird wintry kind of setting with yetis. I remember walking around PAX Unplugged and just seeing a bunch of people with yeti horns and wondering what the heck that was about. And then I found out Frosthaven. The reason we're talking about Frosthaven, though, is not just that it's cool, not just that it's more Gloomhaven, but because Frosthaven literally broke Kickstarter records for the amount of money that it made. So, Daniel, I kind of want to throw this to you to get your opinion on, especially as somebody who is, like, very miniatures-focused. Like, literally, you are painting and assembling miniatures right now as we record this. Yes, I am. So, do you, you haven't played it, so you said, you, you haven't played Gloomhaven yet, but do you think that Gloomhaven, the game, is what's doing this, and Frosthaven, therefore, building on that? Or do you think that it's literally, like, cool boxes full of miniatures, is, like, I, I need to own that? Well, boxes full of miniatures, depending on the price point, will always push, no matter how goofy they look. Um, like... Usually, if a Kickstarter is like a hundred bucks and you get like miniatures at a dollar pop, a lot of people will just pull the miniatures out and just trash the rest of it. That's true, and and we we both know that Kevin does that just for dice. Yeah. So, it's it's really hit or miss. Like, I've still got. Rising Sun on my shelf, like, right behind me that I've yet to play, but the miniatures are amazing, and I'm tempted to use them in Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, I, I don't doubt that. Do you, is it literally just lack of opportunities for why you're, you're not, you haven't played it before? Pretty much. I don't have anybody to play it with. Okay. So, See, it's that, one of those games that I can't get to the table. That's the interesting thing to me. Because, like, I... I love everything about this, but I look at it and go, there's no way I'm ever going to get anything played that's this long. Right. I'm never going to see... I can't do that with, with kids. I mean, and you're learning that now. It's just like, we, we've, we've got these kids, and 
one, their attention spans are a lot shorter than ours. Right. And, you know, plus their lives are busy. I mean, like, for instance, my wife will play games with me, but she will not sit down and play long games with me. And it's completely understandable. That's just not her jam. And we've got a three-year-old to contend with. So. So looking at the Frosthaven campaign, 83,193 backers pledged a total of 12,969,608 dollars. That's a lot of dollars. And it's one of the top, it is the top board game. It's one of the top Kickstarters, period. And so, yeah, I, I know that I'm excited to see how this works, especially because of the fact that a lot of people have bought Gloomhaven, have not touched a third of the content in the Gloomhaven box, and still bought Frosthaven. Well, it's because they didn't want to... I, well, okay. We all know what happened with Gloomhaven. Like, it was the hardest game to get. And, like, the prices just went astronomical on it when you could actually find it. I mean... Oh, yeah. So, I think a lot of it also is FOMO. Oh, it is. is. Fear of missing out. Oh, there, there's no question about it. Like, I'll tell you what. There was a time when I hovered over the, the campaign support button. And it's really like, like, I, there's no way I can afford to back this. And there's no way I'm going to get to play it. But look at all the cool stuff. Yeah. Like, so I get that. It, I, for me, it's going to be worth it. Like, the stuff you get in the box is going to be worth it. Is it going to be entertaining? If you like a dungeon crawler, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to like be worth everything people spend on it. I, I'm just really interested not only to see what the game is, because part of it is that it, it looks like just more Gloomhaven. But yeah, it, it might be. And, and, you know, the stories that they include in this, you know, is could, could be like one of the coolest things ever, you know? Right. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that turns out. And I'm curious to see how it all pans out for people who bought Gloomhaven, haven't played Gloomhaven nearly as much as they, they can. And yet still bought this. I'm curious to see the reactions after the fact on this one. Hmm. One that I just want to briefly touch on because I can't not talk about it is that there's a game out there that is basically Aliens the board game, but because of legal reasons, they can't call it Aliens the board game. It's called Nemesis. Uh, Nemesis is another miniatures heavy game that uh, is out there in the world. And the only reason I'm bringing it up, because I don't have to hype up Nemesis if, if you're, you either know it and are already backing it or don't care. <laughs> because it, it's so ever-present in what people are talking about in the board gaming world. So I don't have to hype anything up, except for the fact that I saw one of the miniatures looked like it was a kitten in a spacesuit. Yeah, that was neat. I saw that today. And I'm not going to lie, I love the idea of playing with a kitten in a spacesuit. <laughs> I like, wouldn't mind painting it. And not not some weird like anthropomorphic kitten. I'm talking about it's literally a kitten in a spacesuit. Yes. 
So, yeah, I have nothing, like, of consequence to say about that. <laughs> because, again, it's a, it's a board game about going through a, a ship, and it's just like the movie Alien. The monster, the alien monsters that you fight even look like the xenomorphs. So, yeah, you're either going to love this or you're going to hate it. And you probably already know that. So I'm not going to spend more time discussing Nemesis. If you need more information, please look it up on Kickstarter. It is doing gangbusters because, of course, it is. Speaking of weird space <sighs> creatures and... I, I wanted to brief pause on that for a minute. For me to gather my thoughts about this next thing that I'm kind of happy about, but I'm also a little mad. Isn't that always the case when this sort of thing happens? But before yeah. we before we break that down, what is happening, Daniel? Warhammer 40,000 9th edition. They have some very cool cinematics that I'm now that I'm mentioning them I have to track them down for the show notes. Well, yeah. The the thing is though, I've been playing 40k since 3rd. That's when I first discovered this wonderful game, which third edition. So you can imagine twenty years of me playing this game. Now I'm gonna eighth edition. Let's say you want to play this game, okay? Um, and you want to get into it. it. It's it's not for the faint of heart. Your your main manual is going to cost about sixty bucks. Your this, Say you decide to play uh, a co like uh, I play Space Wolves in Eldar, and so like I had to get their codexes. All right, that's another fifty a piece. Then you have to get the chapter approved every time they come out, which is a update in rules. So you're looking at about three hundred dollars in books alone. That's just with that version. Then you've got to get your minis. You got to paint your minis. You don't have to paint your minis, but it's sad when there's gray plastic on the table. <laughs> but then there's all the lore. Oh my gosh! Every time a new version comes out, lore adjusts. That means every book has to be rewritten. Yep. So it's cool because of the fact that they're bringing back certain things like. There was an option to have a game, and it was not really official, but it was something they created at Citadel, was uh, or a game workshop was the lunch game, a a game short enough to be played during the lunch hour. And if you know anything, when I first started playing 40k, one game lasts four to six hours. So that's where I get my my long attention span when it comes to playing games is from 40k. And so, but, I mean, things like that are going to be great. But I'm still kind of sad that all these books that I have, I'll have to rebuy them. <laughs> There'll be a new box set, and I'll want to buy that. And they just released a new box set. You know, and the rules in it are already out of date in like a year. I mean, 8th edition just came out like, what, three and a half years ago? So, yeah, that's I always, where I'm at. I always have very mixed emotions when this happens, because for as a person who has to buy books, I'm like, oh, that sounds horrible, especially when it happens fairly quickly after you know some 
big thing that took all my money previously. At the same point, I want to look at it and go, if they don't keep making new stuff, they stop making all stuff. Yeah, I get that. I really do. But there has to be a period in between where they give it a break for a while. I mean, it's only been like four years. Oh, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying this is the right call. I do not play Warhammer 40K. Everything I know about Warhammer 40K is through video games and books. I, I love the world of Warhammer 40K, but if you're asking me if I'm ever going to sit down and paint minis and set up a, a skirmish, the answer is probably not. Well, and so... And, and the kids that play 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons are getting ready to go through this. Because they're already talking 6th edition. So, when that comes out, they're going to be like, but I just bought all these books. Like, yeah, you can still play that version. It's fine to play no, that version. Nothing's going nothing's gonna to take that away from you. Yeah. But, then, but again, it's not the new thing. So, oh, anyway. oh, yeah. But, no, I'm really excited about it because I love the artwork. I love when new stuff comes out new miniatures come out. Um, I think this will probably be the year that they start nerfing the Space Marines. Um, something that a lot of people didn't realize was when they came out with the Primaris, the reason why Primaris are the new Marine, basic Marine, is because if if you know the lore of 40K, a Space Marine is actually 12 foot tall. Yeah. If you look at the miniatures of Space Marines, though, they're the same size as the humans. And that's because of the the way they produced Marines, uh, produced miniatures at the time. They couldn't really do a lot of cool stuff with it because of the technology. But now the technology is out there to make bigger Marines, so they created the Primaris Marines. So they're, they're starting to phase out, I believe, the Space Marines, they're the standard Adeptus. And so, like, the. Um, but one of the crazy things is if you filled. A Devastator squad from standard Marines, you could take out like an entire group of dang Primaris. Even though Primaris are like the bee's knees, it's what Space Marines want to grow up to be. But those Devastators, oh my gosh. You get in there with those heavy weapons. <laughs> Again, all, all I know from 40K is the video games. And I will say that in my experience, you you drop in some, some Devastators and lots of things go boom. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that wonderful Devastator squads. Anyway, but yeah, that's me. That's that's what on my hop train right now. So right. more miniatures. That's what it boils down to. I think I think that's a a perfect kind of segue because Warhammer itself is something that's been around for ages. It has, and so I think it's important that we kind of take this time to transition into looking at something that's been around for a while that we want people to look at again and kind of dig out and show to people who this might be a new thing for them, this whole board gaming hobby. Okay. So it's, it's time we transition into the Archive Dive. Now, I... I love this game <laughs> i do want to just put out a little bit of bias uh my copy is signed by the designers because they came to tavern con one year <laughs> and uh but i i love this game regardless it is called dragon and flagon and 
I absolutely love everything about it. It is a bar brawl in a box. And it's a fantasy bar brawl in a box, including a wizard with a cat familiar who the cat throws fireballs from across the room. The reason that Dragon and Flagon to me is something that should be checked out and should be something that if, if because look, when it first came out, lots of people were talking about it because it's designed by the Engelsteins. So real quality designers. It's very unique in the fact that it is a three dimensional game with a not three dimensional game price tag because it's not miniatures or anything like that. It's standees, but all it, it literally, it, it has the appeal that HeroQuest used to because it has 3D furniture. Yeah. There's 3D tables, 3D chairs, it's got mugs, it's got all sorts of stuff because you literally have to walk walk your character over to it and pick it up and throw it across the room. Like, you don't literally throw it across the room, but you have to go and pick it up because everything exists in actual space and it's programming. So you play down your cards. My guy will do this and then this and then this. So in a lot of it, it's it's you're planning on stuff happening, but like an actual bar brawl would be, you can have a plan for what you're going to do, but it never works out that way. And the whole goal of this game is to get, you know, honor and glory for being the best fighter and, and taunter and you know, storyteller, because some of it is just declaring your own glory while standing on tables. But um, there's actually a, a mug in the a chalice, I should say, in the center of the tavern called the Dragon Flagon. You drink that and you get a special ability and each character has a unique ability. They're all super cool, but they're all super hard to pull off. And there's I love the interesting ways that this, it takes programming and does weird things with it. Like, there are abilities that you can do to other players, which kind of stuns them. But stunning isn't necessarily, like, you don't do anything. It's it's instead, you blindly put cards face down on your programming sheet. So you don't know what you're going to do. You are, you are literally confused. And you don't even know what you're fixing to do. <laughs> I have noticed, though, that a lot of the games that you like involve fighting and alcohol. It, um, Yeah, I like fantasy games. So fantasy <laughs> games involve a lot of fighting and alcohol. <laughs> it's a trend. But yeah, uh, my, my daughter says she'll play any game as long as it doesn't involve fantasy. Well, there you go. It's a shame. <laughs> Because this game involves literally pulling carpets out from underneath three-dimensional tables, and I'm sad that she won't get to appreciate that. I, I probably need to pick this one up. I've been eyeballing it for a while. There, my favorite move, the person who did this did not win, but it was still one of the greatest things I've ever seen. One of the moves is you pull a carpet, and you literally pick up the little carpet and pull it, and anybody that's standing on it is affected, and it gets knocked down and gets hurt. And you collect honor from them. This dude pulled off a rug pull that literally got every other player. This is a game that plays up to eight, I believe. And he did a rug pull that got every one of us. <laughs> it was amazing. I've had times 
when somebody's thrown a mug at one person, but then somebody walks up in the middle of it and gets clocked by that mug. It's, I love this game. It is amazing. Uh, I love that the, the cleric's special ability is basically that she collects a tithe. <laughs> she demands a tithe from everyone in the room. Uh, that, yeah, that is pretty funny. Like, it is ludicrous fun. The game, the mechanics are pretty simple because, again, it's programming, so it's more along the lines of the challenge is actually getting your thing to go the way you want it to as opposed to knowing how to do the thing. Uh, the cards are very intuitive, so it shows you what you're able to do. And it is just, it's it's fun to see on a table. Like, I love a good game that has good table presence that people Oh, who, yeah, there's there's nothing like that. Yeah, so the, there, anything that, that people who aren't playing are getting into it because they see it on the table and are drawn to it. I, I adore this game. And I, I, I don't see it get played or even mentioned all that often anymore. I, it's, it's a game that I will always cite when people are like, I need a game for high player count. Because again, I, there are very few games I know that can play up to eight well. And this can do it. And, uh, yeah, I, I really think that if, if you like ridiculousness and craziness, um, get this because that's all it is because everybody ends up trying to run for the dragon flagon in the middle of the room and like, like all sorts of crazy sitcoms and, and weird kind of movies from a certain period of Hollywood, (laughs) um, craziness ensues like i've i've rarely seen people go for the flagon and end up winning like it's usually because everyone's running for it they end up canceling each other out and there's somebody off in the corner just plunking everybody with you know table legs and things like that that ends up winning but it's i don't care it's still incredibly just a blast to watch let alone play and so if you're That's not cool. if you're not scared away by programming, aka putting cards down to kind of pre-plan your actions, if that doesn't scare you off, Dragon and Flagon is amazing. Hey Daniel. Yes. It's time to answer some questions. <gasps> really? This is my favorite favorite part of the entire show. It's time for Tavern Talk. So uh, this is the part where we go to our Facebook group called The Tavern and ask question, ask you to ask us questions because we're entirely mining you for content. And uh, we have some good ones this time. We have some really yes, interesting ones. Yes, but let ones. me, without giving you the question, I'm going to give you an answer because this person will know what the question was. Banana bread and garlic bread. All right. <laughs> I don't have better answers for that, and so you can go, and if you're not a member of the Tavern, you can go to uh, Facebook and look up the Tavern, or you can go facebook.com slash groups slash game store profits, and you can join us there and find out what the <laughs> heck the question was <laughs> that got the proper answer is banana bread and garlic bread. Yes. 
Uh, the first actual question that we're going to talk about is from our dear friend and game designer, Ken Franklin. Uh, Ken asked, do you have a preference for cooperative or competitive games, and how do those either attract you or put you off? Daniel, I'm curious as to what your answer to this is. Actually, um, I guess I'm more of a cooperative person. I mean, when I found out that there's actually a board game that, I mean, board games that do cooperative play, like, that was just like, you know, I was like, okay, this is cool. We don't have to fight against each other. We're not screaming yell. But there is a level of screaming and yelling at each other, telling each other what to do. But, like, if you think about it, Dungeons and Dragons is a cooperative play game. Mm-hmm. So. So, what about, this, what about the second part? What is it that attracts you? I don't think I don't think you're put off by competitive games, but what is it that attracts you to cooperative games? Just being able to work together. Uh, to come up and figure out plans to to rise to the challenge is pretty much it. Yeah. I think that's a pretty solid answer that I think a lot of people are going to have. Uh, for me, I, I'm really trying hard not to just do the cop-out answer. I want a good game. And I know <laughs> good games that are competitive and good games that are cooperative. And if you look at like my top ten, there's a lot of mixture... So yeah. I don't I don't know if I have a favorite. If you if you nailed me to the wall and made me pick, I'd probably say competitive. Yeah. Um, but literally that is that is just if you made me. Uh the reason that I think if there's anything that would kind of just nudge it up in front of cooperative games is that unless the cooperative game is really well done. And there are games that I, I point to. I would point to uh, your Spirit Islands, your The Grizzle. Like, there are competitive, or there are cooperative games that do this really well. But cooperative games, if you have one person that either via their personality or just because they've played it more than everybody at the table, We've all heard it. It's the alpha yep. gamer, the person who says, you need to do this. You should yeah. do this. You should do this. You should do this. I It bugs me. And again, there are games that like go out of their way to, to acknowledge that that is a problem with co- cooperative games and do stuff in the design to kind of avoid that. But... Yeah, as a rule, I get really annoyed when other people are telling people how to play their turn. Even if that person does know what they're talking about, even if that person is giving them the optimal move, it really bugs me to see that happen. So that and that alone would be why competitive games would probably nudge out just in front of cooperative games for me. Personally, I think the only time that you need to be helping another gamer like that, if they don't ask for the help, is usually a younger gamer that doesn't have an idea of how it works yet. There there is actually, in our our guidelines, which I've just been made aware not that long ago that it reminds me, I might have to do that even now. if, if, If you hear this podcast and don't see this on the Inroads Ministry site, get me. Because I've been meaning to do it. Um, we don't have the posting for our, our game night guidelines on our site. Which we created ages ago. 
But among those is the idea that to run games like we do, you do not instruct somebody how to play their turn unless they're asking you right. to instruct them how to play their turn. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. My personal opinion. I would agree. The next question is from Zach Lorton, another game designer who does a lot of stuff. And I'm not surprised by the, the way he asked this question because Zach does, he does Backburner Games, which find them on Patreon. And he does a lot of indie role-playing games, but he also does a lot of Fiasco scenarios. And Fiasco is a wonderful art, uh, role-playing game experience that is GMless, and if you've never played it, Go look it up. Zach does a lot of really, really fun scenarios in that, too. But his question is, what are three one-shot RPGs you want to try and why? Now, before we started, Daniel was like, well, everything's a one-shot if you want it to be. <laughs> and that's true. But for me, I focused entirely on games that either specifically are designed to be one-shots or just the nature of the way they play is a one-shot. Uh, just it, it would just feel weird to play it as a campaign. So I have my three. Daniel, do you have an idea? Because I know that you're like, I don't really uh, play these. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like longer stuff. But, I mean, the closest I would come is be, be like Savage World stuff. Because usually they do everything in one sheets, like one sheet adventures, you know, that you can get together with some friends and play. That's how you introduce a lot of people to Savage Worlds, is do one sheets. But outside of that, you know, I, I really don't know of any one-shot RPGs unless it's like the board games, like D&D board games, or HeroQuest would be considered a one-shot RPG to me. Okay. I will throw in my three plus one bonus to make up for, for Daniel's not answering. <laughs> uh, three that I really, really, really want to play. Let's start off with the one that is just ludicrous and silly. It is the one that I picked up at PAX Unplugged after hearing that it was on Kickstarter after the Kickstarter completed. If you've ever seen a little movie called Empire Records, which people of a certain age, a.k.a. my age, were right about the right age range when it, that movie came out, it is about a bunch of teenagers trying to save their record store by putting on a, a ludicrous kind of rave kind of thing. It is every teenage stereotype brought way up into the focus. They made an RPG called Damn the Man, Save the Music, in which part of it is you actually have to come up with a soundtrack. You actually have to soundtrack your character. That sounds kind of fun. I haven't played it yet because I just picked it up at Unplugged. It's one of those books that I picked up saying, even if I never play this, it needs to be on my shelf. Because I will quote Empire Records incessantly. And and it's really fun because every once in a while I'll do it. And I'll just... It's kind of like Nerdfinder. 
you, you throw it out into the world and you see who responds back. Oh, yeah. I've, I've thrown out quotes like, what's with today, today, or I don't feel the need to explain my art to you, Warren, or like so many of these things I will just throw out into the world. I So yeah, Damn the Man, Save the Music, it is Empire Records, the role-playing game. The next one is amazing to me because it does a very interesting uh, randomizer. It doesn't use cards, it doesn't use dice, it doesn't use any of these standard things that you think about when you're doing a role-playing randomizer. It is Dread, and it uses a Jenga tower. So basically what it is, it's a horror role-playing game where anytime somebody tries to do something, the GM basically figures out how many pulls on the Jenga tower it would take to make that successful. And what happens is, is that you continue to, to pull from the Jenga tower and pull from the Jenga tower. And if you've ever played Jenga, you know that after you play for a little bit, it becomes very precarious to do anything. Yeah. And what happens is, is that when the Jenga tower falls, basically somebody's going to die. And I just find that incredibly fascinating. I think it's fun. Like, it's interesting to see people and just when they're confronted with their... Like, they'll have an expectation of how you play role-playing games, and then they'll see a Jenga tower. And, like, what? Uh, the last one is not for... Or not not the last one. I was going to do uh, a bonus one. So, my the, before I get to the last one, because the last one's going to be interesting, uh, I'm going to do a one-page... A one it was the winner of the one-page RPG thing a while ago. You can literally get this for free right now. It is a game called Lasers and Feelings. It is a one-page role-playing game in which you have two stats. Lasers and Feelings. The idea is, is that if you are high on the lasers, you are, that you're really good at the technical stuff, you know, the, the science-y stuff. If you're really good at feelings... You are into social stuff, empathy, that kind of stuff. It is a space game where you come up with the ship. You you can even come up with like what the, the, the plot of the thing is on the fly. It is a ton of fun. I really wanted to sit down and play it with somebody. I've uh, just never had the chance. It's been sitting, the, the one-page PDF has been sitting in my uh, Google Drive for ages I just haven't had a chance to play it yet. You can go get that right now. Lasers and Feelings. It looks really fun, really interesting, and just a really light way to spend some time. Lastly, the one that I want to play that I really have to find the right people to play with because it can go horribly wrong horribly fast. And that is a role-playing game that you can also find for free via the internet. It's a game called Everybody. Everyone is John. The reason I put this last, the reason I give a lot of caveats to this is that Everyone is John is a game where you are all playing different personalities of this guy named John, vying for control of John to get John to do what you want him to do. It's a, it, there's a lot of opportunity for people to get into some really sketchy stuff, which is why I want to make sure that I play with only the right people. So we can kind of put the, I don't know, just 
put the barriers around really at the front of that game to try and make sure that nobody steps over those boundaries. But I think it would be really interesting to play something where you are all the same person and just trying to get incredibly different goals accomplished via the same person. I think it's a really interesting concept, but it does come up with some really, really weird, really sketchy kind of stuff. So do that one at your own risk. But the other ones, I will wholeheartedly just absolutely do any of them. I think this next question is kind of loaded. A little bit. <laughs> so uh, this one comes from Jason Cox. Um he uh, put out a question, is what part of your theology do you hate but know is true? We so, are kind of going to answer this question. Now, if you notice, we really, really don't go too deep into theology, like what you would think is theology. Now, we'll put our spin on stuff a lot of times. But, I mean, we kind of glean something. We, I, I personally want to leave the thought in your mind to go investigate stuff on your own. Um, it does say in the Bible that we work out our own salvation through fear and trembling. And uh, it's not through everybody else. It's through ourselves and God. So, um, I'll leave that little <laughs> there for you. Well, basically, the, the, the short version of what we wanted to do with this is that we're not going to answer the question. Not because we're afraid of it, not because like we don't, but there's a reason we don't bring this stuff up. It's because of the fact that the people who listen to us come from everywhere. Yes. We have people who listen to us who are from literally every Christian denomination. We have some people who listen to us just because they like us as people. We've met them at conventions, and even though they're not especially Christian themselves, they listen to us because they like what we talk about games and this stupid ridiculousness that we get by just talking about them. So we, it's hard to encapsulate that kind of community with a definitive set. Yes. Now there are times that people have, have heard us say that in the past and say, Oh, like they'll, they'll say that we're afraid and we're not, none of us have ever hidden our own thoughts about various theological discussions and debates. Not You can literally ask every member of our board to talk about what they think about stuff. And we will answer privately. Because right. not, not any one of us wants to speak as inroads. So, and I will tell you this, and I'm not saying this is Jason's intentions, but the um, doing gaming ministry for as long as I've been doing it... Um, doing the conventions and with game church and things like that. Usually questions asked like that, um, come, uh, with somebody wanting to pick a fight. Um, like a lot of times we'll, you know, being at the booth, what do you believe about gay marriage or what do you believe about abortion? People actually ask this in the middle of a convention hall while people are trying to walk around them, now, trying to pick a fight with and, us. And I, I, had a guy, I will say, I've talked to Jason before. I know that's not what he's doing, but I agree yeah. with you that that is often what ends up happening when you have theological questions brought up in a public space like that. But, I guess the 
Yes. To, I have an analogy. First of all, you got to realize me and Mike, we have basically different theological backgrounds in some of these things. Um, you know, I'm I'm Southern. I'm not Southern Baptist, but I'm you know a non-denominational, and I do go to a Baptist church. But the um, you know and and you know Mike goes to a different type of church than I do, and we have different beliefs on certain things. But yet we're still friends. You know, we don't sit and argue about this stuff. We don't, and we're still doing pretend, ministry together. Yeah, and we we don't pretend to be the the two old Jewish guys sitting over a table arguing about you know Levitical law. Can um, we? We can if we want to, and throw in some really racist accents. Yeah, but um, let's not do the, that. Uh, no, not at all. But I, I mean, though that that's the thing. I mean, you could still be different but the same it's like you know one person might prefer mcdonald's and another person might prefer burger king but in the end you're still getting a crappy hamburger and i'm not calling our our theology crappy but what i'm trying to say is that in the end we're still christians and we're still going to heaven and our goal is still to reach people for christ we do it differently than everybody else we do it a very uh, unobtrusive way, like instead of going door to door, knocking on people's doors, going, hey, you want to hear about my friend Jesus? No, we go to conventions and host shows or host game days to where we get to be Jesus. It's like we get to feed you, we get to spend time with you, we get to love on you, we get to show you how to play games, and then if you want to talk to us, you can talk to us all day long. Right, so... The reason that we wanted to address this, and Daniel and I talked about this beforehand, we're like, this butts up against our desire to not get into theological debates on anything that is fr- like front-facing for any aspect of inroads. So this yeah. this podcast, heck, even when it comes to Bard and Bible, I, I, I just did one on the creation myth, and I said, I'm not going to talk about what I think about the creation myth. I'm going to use it as story and literary. So even in that, like we don't do a lot of definitive theological discussion. All that stuff we can do privately. Again, none of us hide any of it. But the reason we wanted to talk about this, even though we, we firmly stand by that, we don't talk about this publicly is because we want to engage this idea. Theology, what part of your theology do you hate but know is true? There's a couple things I, I want to bring up here that I thought was really interesting and worth talking about, even on Game Store Profits. There's a real temptation to have your theology framed by what you think things are like, as opposed to defining your theology and having that define what's good and everything in your life. So the idea is is that a person often will take their theology and their theology is just a reflection of what they like and what they think and how they react. The The reason I call it a temptation is because if God has never told you to do something that makes you uncomfortable, that doesn't sit right with you, it's probably just you. <laughs> you are probably the one defining what that is because, you know, I hate to tell you, but the... Yeah. Almighty, the creator of everything in existence, probably doesn't see things the way you do. 
And the air quotes on that probably are enormous. <laughs> so that was the, the like like there's probably at least one aspect of everyone's theology that makes them really uncomfortable, that makes them that they wrestle with, they struggle with. And that includes folks who do ministry. There's there's stuff that you're like, oh man, this is really hard and really confusing. And I, I either don't know what that's like, or I do think I know what that is, but I don't know what to do with that because it's really uncomfortable. So we all have those things. Yeah. And my thing with that is if you have something like that, and best thing to do is go to your pastor and talk to him about it. But the thing is, though, is it really hurting your salvation? I mean, and, and I, I am using Christian words today, but like, like I've had people get upset over the whole creation story. I've seen people almost come to blows about it. I know. And, and so like, and I think me and Mike might be a little bit different on that. And, you know, he called it creation myth. I call it creation story. You can already get an idea. Of what and go ahead and, and make sure that you go to Barden Bible and hear me discuss about the definition of myth and why I use that there. Yeah. Well, I haven't listened to it yet, so I have, I, I don't know what your, your your thoughts are on it. But the thing is, though, like I've seen people argue that, argue that, argue, it, and I go, oh, oh, hold on. Are you both Christians? Yeah. Are you both going to heaven? Yeah. Well, then get over it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's it's just that. I mean, everybody's different. Everybody's went through something completely different in their life. So, the the Bible, we we say it's a living book because. What we're going through frames how we read it. Yeah. And the other the other aspect of this question, which is why I wanted to bring it up, which is why it's probably making our coffee and contemplation shrink because I want to make sure that this gets some airtime. But I don't care because our coffee and contemplation is kind of just us talking about cool things that make us play games. That can wait until next week. We can <laughs> we can we can do that. Um the the thing that I, the, the no is true, the no part right there. Part of the reason why we do this and the, why we don't define so many terms with inroads related stuff is because that all of us, because we've come from these different places, then if you, if you kind of go and hang out with the people that we hang out with, let's see, let's talk about some other places like the, the MinMax folks, Derek. Yeah. You know, you get all these the, the guys from Saving the Game. All of us come from very different places, but we hang out. We shout out to each other all the time. We have so many different understandings of this stuff. And guess what? We've talked about this theology. Like, again, we don't shy away from this stuff. We, we talk about it just in private. And I'm pretty confident that every one of us has, if not changed somebody else's mind... We've had conversations that is like, I don't understand where you're coming from. And we, we present this and, and some things have gotten changed. Some things have gotten kind of the rough edges hewn off of it and everything like that because we talk about this stuff. So the idea that you, like we hold the word no, not like, like completely loose, but kind of loosely. The, the thing that I've, mentioned to every person that I've that has been on a team that I've led uh, I've mentioned it to the board at, at different times you should always act in accordance with your convictions but you gotta understand that your convictions can be wrong right 
so we always hold them we hold them strong enough that that they're worth holding on to but loose enough that if we are given the 100% understanding that this is not legit or or that this other aspect is more important we can let it go so that's why we wanted to address this uh, because we don't we don't we like we always do a faith kind of thing at the end of these episodes but we don't define theology one because there's already a bazillion theology podcasts out there like there's so many that you could be going to better than us for that if that's your jam go to them but there's i don't know there there's just something about being together with this huge crew of people and knowing that Christ unites us. That in the midst of all this this difference, in the midst of all of our, our weird idiosyncrasies, it is God that unites us and binds us together. Amen. So, we didn't answer this question, but I really hope we kind of answered the question. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things, like, we could... You know, I could give you like two or three things in my mind right now on that question if we answered it the way they wanted us to. But like, oh yeah, no, I got I got that, a bunch. That would, in a way, though, hurt uh, my testimony, and 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 make people think differently of me, and 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 I'm not going to tell you the things that I think differently or the things that that I believe are in the Bible that I wish weren't there, but that's the thing, though. I, I, you know, it's something I have to work out between me and God, you know, and get to a certain thing, discussing this. And, and I will tell you straight up, like, one of my big, I'm not telling you what it is, but, like, the, I, I, I talk to people of different flavors, and I, I will call it different flavors of Christianity all the time, and talk to them about this. Because I'm trying to work my way through it. And that's the thing. I'm trying to work my way through these beliefs. And whether or not that they still hold true. Or whether or not that um, I'm misinterpreting the Bible. Yeah. And I, like, I'll, I'll even put out there again. For, for me personally. I, I continue to say it. I will always say it. I never shy away from these things. Yeah. I have a... a Facebook Messenger log that is riddled with theological com- uh, conversations I've had with people. So, Jason, if you're listening and you really want to know, like, really, really <coughs> badly what some of mine are, I'll gladly tell you in a Facebook send message. It, yeah, send it to us in a message. But uh, I don't put that out there publicly, and it's for me personally because for good or for ill, and I will always say it's for ill – you know, in the minds of a lot of people, Inroads Ministries is is me, and yeah. I'll hate that, but I also acknowledge it from just observational stuff. It's because my name is on most of the stuff on the site. That's just how it is. So I really don't want to be defining terms that alienate large portions of our community. If there have ever been times that I think that there are things that directly need to be addressed. I address them. 
But other than that, I make sure that I'm not making that the face of, of the argument. I, I want to uh, always be about the stories. I want to be about sharing these things, about yeah. really digging into it. And really, at the end of the day, for more often than not, a lot of it is just small minutiae in the grand scheme of things. That there is plenty, there's plenty of stuff to talk about, and quite frankly, a lot of the major discussions have been major discussions for generations. So it's not like any of us are coming up with the end all and be all of these arguments. There, these things will probably still be discussions long after our children's children are gone. <laughs> so, like, I really think that there's value in discussing these things and talking these things through in uh, really exploring this together. Because for me, that's when we're doing theology right, yeah. is when we are doing it together when we are exploring these things and even when we think somebody's wrong even when we think somebody is dead wrong like that that's the kind of thing you do together like it's not something that i want to hear on a podcast that somebody's speaking definitively i want that to be a discussion yeah i want that to be a back and forth i want that to be a a this is why i think this Please tell me why you think I'm wrong. And so I think that if, if there's nothing else about this question, I, I want that to be the takeaway that all of us probably have at least one thing about our connection to God and what God has called us to that makes us uncomfortable at least. And we should get together and talk it through. And even if we're not changing minds, at least be on the same page that we are all trying to get closer to God than we were yesterday. So, yeah, I think we're going to skip coffee and contemplation <laughs> this week. Yeah. We could put it... We could put it on there, but honestly, I think after what we just did, I think it would be kind of weird and make everything not so good if we did it. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm okay with that. All right, good. So, here, let's let's do this, Daniel. Okay. I'm, I'm literally throwing this out there, folks, so we're going to see what Daniel's reaction to this. I want to hear, because the fact that we're all kind of stir-crazy, we're all kind of on lockdown. I want you to name something that is at least vaguely ministry-related that has made you smile and something that has personally made you smile, like you personally. Oh, my gosh. Uh... That can be our coffee and contemplation. Yes, we've done it. I did it so we can do something fun and light as a way out. That's coffee and contemplation. <laughs> Oh my gosh, uh, ministerly, it's made me smile. Um, so, I tell you, if y'all follow any of the people in the tavern, uh, Michael Riddle. Michael's good people. 
Yeah, so Michael posted today that he's still cancer-free because he had his, uh, another bladder exam today. He's got to get them every three months. Um, Michael calls me every day on his drive home. <laughs> and, like, I'll be cooking dinner or, like, I'll be sitting down at dinner. So I can't actually answer the phone all the time. And I love hearing from Michael. And I, so, I I feel so bummed because and I wanted I want to make sure I put this on air. I feel so bummed because Michael calls me a bunch too. I've never been able to get the call. It's always been I've I've heard it like a half hour to forty five minutes later than he called me. Yeah, and and so like today I actually got to sit down with him and talk to him or almost wait to the doctor. Um and, you know, we prayed together over that. And, you know, it just really brightened my heart today to know that he's still cancer-free. Um, and that was my ministerial one because, you know, he ministers to me and I minister to him. And, you know, we do spend time together. I mean, and this guy doesn't live close to me at all. Like, we we got to know each other because of Gen Con. Yep. And he's our, he's our Indianapolis guy. So um, he, he was our Gen Con dwarf bard. Yes, and he also helped TR, do, or him and TR co-run the, uh, the, the meet Saturday up. night game night. So, um, yeah, and then, oh man, so I think the best thing that put a smile on my face um, was the other day, we've gotten a new puppy, and um, she's a Boston Terrier, and our son has this toy gun that shoots these soft balls, and... So she knows how to play fetch, and this is my three-year-old, and I got it on video. He's shooting these balls across the room. The puppy, she goes after it, gets it, brings it back to him. He takes it from her, shoots it across the room again, and nice. they just did this for like 30 minutes, just cackling. So, and it was it was one that brought a smile on my face this past two weeks, so. Well, for me, uh, ministry, I actually recently... Uh, was able to, I was super excited to do it. Cause like I've, I've mentioned before that I had talked with some of the people in charge of the, uh, youth section of our local library, the youth director, as it were for the library. And she had talked about the fact that she has wanted to get games in the library for ages. And so, uh, I had given her a list of things to get. And then I sat there and it was right at the beginning of the quarantine that that connection happened. And as, as time has gone by, I was sitting there. I'm like, it's super hard to add budget items. And it's super duper hard to add budget items when the world has gone crazy. So I went to our guys and said, we're not going to cons this year because of all this craziness. So we've got some money in that's available to us. How about I take some of it and buy just a bunch of games for the local library here in town? And we did. Between some a whole bunch of, of uh, purchases that we made in, that included some D&D core books and a whole bunch of board games, we also had some donations that people gave in. Uh, I tossed in a couple games from what I had kind of squirreled away for giveaways this year. And uh, I got to drop, like, four boxes of board games and tabletop RPGs over to our local library. And hopefully, once all this clears up, I'm going to be working with them to do 
community game nights and community D and they like they want to do a D and D club. Like the person in charge of the library has been like, like we have teenagers who have asked us to run a D and D club, but none of us ever have played this. Do you know how to do that? So that's something that I might be doing in the future there. And so I'm super excited about that. Being able to drop that off and having them look at me and go, we would have never been able to have gotten this much at all. So it was, it was really cool to do that. And then uh, personally, it's just been, it's just been life with my two and a half year old. <laughs> like he is just at a super fun age. Like uh, the other day, like he had, he'd been over at his grandparents' house and they had a little like kiddie pool for him. And he woke up from his nap and he was sad that he wasn't in the kiddie pool. So we're like, let's go, let's go find one. And it yeah. was, it was heartbreaking because every place was sold out of them. Yeah. We, we made sure to get one of those as soon as this happened. Apparently everybody else did too. Um, yeah. so he was heartbroken. So my wife and I went into, you know, just distract mode. And before I knew it, my son had created two superheroes out of his feet. And, <laughs> and for some reason they were named, uh, the, they were secret agents and they were named secret agent juice and secret agent tree. And my wife would be like, secret agent tree, secret agent tree. And he'd literally look at her and go, what is it? <laughs> like, like, like he, he is at such a fun age. And I've gotten to spend a bunch of time with him lately because while I am back to work, it's day shift and it's only half days so far. So even even going back to work, I still get to, to just spend a ton of time with him. And it's been just really amazing to spend time with him that way. Good. All right, Daniel, do you want to send us off or would you do you want me to? I'll do it. Folks, we always need to remember that God is the Game Master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.